Greetings, Arbor Church. How y'all doing? I invite you to take a seat. My name is Rory, and I am not one of the pastors on the team. However, I am a pastor, just happens to be in Southern California, and I got to actually sit under the training and the tutelage of Pastor Jake for about 10 years at Overlake, and uh, during those 10 years, we had some really cool youth ministry runs, and then also, I met this beautiful, amazing, wonderful woman named Laura, who is now my wife, and we have four kids. Four kids. And not only do we have four kids, we have four kids five and under. So what that means is I desperately need you to pray for us. It is controlled chaos all the time. People ask us often, what is it like having four kids? And I give them this line from Jim Gaffigan every time. Just imagine, just imagine you're drowning and someone hands you a kid. That's kind of what it's like. having four kids. But I digress. I am delighted and excited to be here this morning as we jump into week number four of our series entitled One Another's. Now, to set this up, we need to understand that uh, Arbor Church has a very clear purpose. The purpose of Arbor Church is to make disciples. But along with that purpose, there's also a preference. And our preference is that, yes, we would make disciples, but we would do it together. And what we want to do in this series is actually focus on that togetherness. In fact, we're looking at a bunch of one another commands. In fact, there's about a hundred of them in the New Testament. They're found in 94 verses, and two of those verses point to this one particular command we're going to zero in on this morning. It's the command to encourage one another. It's the command to encourage one another. And we just believe that if we will encourage one another together, God just might show up and he just might show off in our midst. And you know what? As I look out over this crowd right now, as I hear the story of what God is already doing at Arbor Church, I can tell he's already doing an amazing work through you. You guys are encouragers and I'm just hoping that I can encourage you just a little bit more today. But before we dive into scripture, would you pray with me and, uh, and then we will dive in. Jesus, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. I pray now by the power of your Holy Spirit in this place and in this space, God, that you might move and you might move mightily. Pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. When I was 14 years old, my grandfather passed away. And as a family, we were obviously devastated. And we made our way over to his house. And we started to go through his belongings because we needed to get his house ready to go on the market. So as we were going through his stuff, I came across his dresser. And in his top dresser drawer, there was this old Tupperware container of firecrackers. Now, what 14-year-old boy doesn't love firecrackers? All 14-year-old boys love firecrackers, and this 14-year-old boy did as well. So I took the Tupperware container home with me. I headed out into the cul-de-sac, and I just started lighting off firecracker after firecracker after firecracker, and it was an awesome, 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 glorious day in Kingsgate. Now, when I get to the bottom of that Tupperware container, I noticed there was something a little bit different. There was one of those little red smoke bombs or at least I thought it was a smoke bomb. You know what little smoke bombs are? Those cute little balls, they got the green wick on them, you light it and cute little colored plume of smoke appears. The only problem was this was not a smoke bomb. This was a cherry bomb. Now, if you don't know what a cherry bomb is, a cherry bomb is like half a stick of dynamite. 
So here I go, traipsing out in my cul-de-sac. I go place said, what I again think is a smoke bomb, but really is a cherry bomb. I place it on the ground. I light the fuse. I walk away. And all of a sudden, it is like a small-scale scud missile goes off in my cul-de-sac. It was so loud, and I was so scared. I was gone faster than my self-esteem at a Zumba class. I was out of there. Now, the reason I tell that story is simply this. I had no idea, absolutely no idea the power that I was playing with. I thought this thing was a smoke bomb. It was a cherry bomb. And when it actually comes to encouragement, specific, we have no idea the power and the potential that we are playing with. What I want to do right now is take a look at scripture. But before I even take a look at scripture, I want to just let you know that there are thousands of ways that we can encourage people. We can encourage people by investing time in one another. I love this quote. The way that you spell love is simply T-I-M-E. Spending time, with one, that's a great way to encourage somebody. Another great way to encourage somebody is just by unleashing your gifts, your talents and abilities. I know Jake is so encouraged. I know Garrett's so encouraged by so many of you just diving in, unleashing your gifting already in Arbor Church, whether it's construction or painting, whether it's jumping in and helping with groups, or I heard him mention Katie just jumping in on Monday mornings and, and helping people take next steps. Like, thank you. That's so amazing. That's so encouraging as a pastor, just unleashing your talents. Not only that, you can encourage people uh, through your finances, through, through your giving. I, I'm a, a family pastor down in California. That means I oversee children's and students and college ministry at the church that I'm at. And it's been so encouraging the last few weeks as we've been preparing for camp. We're sending over a thousand kids and students to camp over the course of this month. And every week on the patio, people are just handing me checks, scholarship checks. Here's $50. Here's $100. Here's $600 because they know the value of camp. If you can get a kid to camp, you can remove the distractions of everyday life and they can zero in on Jesus for a week. God will show up in a huge way in their life. And so these kids, these people have just encouraged me by just helping send kids there with finances. So we kind of talked about, man, investing in our time, unleashing our talents, giving of our, our treasure. But this fourth T that I really want us to zero in again on this morning, it's our talk. It's our words. It's our speech. Let me tell you something you already know. You already know that words are incredibly powerful. This quote I read just a couple weeks ago says this. It says that words are singularly the most powerful force available to humanity. We can choose to use this force constructively with words of encouragement or destructively with words of despair. Words have energy and power with the ability to help, to heal, to hinder, to hurt, to harm, to humiliate, and to humble. Words are powerful. I find it strange how just a combination of 26 letters can steal someone's heart and captivate their souls, and yet even how just another combination of 26 letters can make someone's eyes well up with tears and leave them with enough pain to last a lifetime. See, it's true what King Solomon said in Proverbs 18, 21. He says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. So here's the question I have for you this morning. 
as we're zeroing in on being encouragers, being an encouraging community. The question I have for you when we talk specifically about encouragement with our words, the question is, well, how are we using our words? How are you doing with your speech? Are you using it to build others up? Or are you using your words to tear others down? I want to encourage you this morning to be an encourager, to build one another up. It says this in Hebrews. It says, see to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily. As long as, is, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. What I want to do right now is just spend about five minutes looking at two individuals we meet in the book of Acts. When we just started this church thing here at Arbor, you actually spent some time in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is kind of the history of the early church. The Bible is divided into the Old Testament and the New Testament. The New Testament, the first few books, they talk about the life and ministry of Jesus. Then Jesus ultimately dies on a cross in our place for our sins, and he raises again to new life, and he promises life, life eternal, life abundant for those who trust in him. And then Jesus, he ascends to heaven. And now his followers, they're waiting and they wait for this gift. And eventually God sends this gift. It's the gift of the Holy Spirit. And it births this amazing movement called the church that we're a part of 2,000 years later. And as we read about this church movement that's just blossoming and, and, and blowing up, I mean, it's growing. Everything is up into the right. People are being saved daily, the Bible says. Then we meet this man, his name's Joseph. He's from this small island called Cyprus, just off the coast of Israel. But he's got family in Jerusalem where this church thing started. And somehow he finds him way, his way to Jerusalem. And he's a part of this blossoming, growing church. And then people give him a nickname. Because as he's a part of this movement, he does something kind of radical. He sells some land. He sells some land because there were some people in the church who were in need, actually in desperate need. The cool thing about the church is there were men and there were women. There were rich and there were poor. Some were desperately poor. And this man, Joseph, he sells his land in Cyprus and he gives the proceeds to the church in order that the church can meet the needs of those who are in desperate need. See, the coolest thing about the church in the early days, those people who were in need, they did not stay in need because people in the church, they didn't see the stuff that they owned as their stuff. They saw it as God's stuff. And so people gave and they gave generously. In fact, scholars believe that it was this gift from Joseph that was the catalyst for others to sell their land and their property in order to meet the needs in that community. And because of that action, Joseph is actually given a nickname. His nickname is Barnabas. Many of you have read about Barnabas. Most of you probably didn't know that his real name was Joseph. Barnabas actually means this. It means the son of encouragement, or shortly, just the encourager. See, Barnabas, he was an encourager. He was an encourager to the core. He was an encourager with his actions. But now what we're going to see is that Barnabas is going to be an encourager with his words. See, there's another man 
Another man who was a card-carrying Christian killer. He wasn't just a hater. He, he like drank haterade for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. His name was Saul. Many of you know Saul. Saul eventually becomes Paul, but before he's Paul, he's Saul. And he, he does not like this movement that is happening within the church. He doesn't like these people turning to Jesus. In fact, he hates it. And so he goes to religious leaders and he secures warrants to go out and arrest Christians, followers of the way. I mean, just kind of picture this. I was just talking with Garrett in between services. Paul, or Saul, I mean, in that day, he was kind of like their, their version of a, of a terrorist. We, we read about our brothers and sisters in the Middle East, about Coptic Christians right now having these terrorists just coming into town. I know this is like hard to hear, but, but folks being killed, right, for their faith, for their belief in Jesus. This is what Paul was doing 2000. He was an accessory to the stoning death of Stephen. I mean, he's, he's holding coats, watching people just kill these followers of the way. And it's actually no different today, 2000 years later. See, Paul is this evil man. And one day he gets this idea, I'm going up north. I'm going to Damascus. I'm going to go to Damascus and I'm going to go imprison some more Christians, maybe even kill some more Christians. But then you know the story, perhaps. He goes on this road and then this blinding light knocks him off his donkey. And this light starts to speak to him. And he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he says, who are you, Lord? And long story short, this card-carrying Christian killer gives his life to Jesus. And within a short matter of time, he starts going out throughout all of Damascus, just proclaiming the word of God, that there is a God who loved them, that he died in their place for their sins in order that they could have life. This good news is coming out of the lips of this man who was persecuting Christians. And it's blowing people's mind. Then one day, Paul decides, well, I want to go back to Jerusalem. I want to go back to where this whole church started. I want to be encouraged by the brothers and sisters there. I want to be encouraged by the apostles there. Now, what would you be thinking? If you're a Christian in Jerusalem, you hear these strange rumors that Saul, this guy who was killing Christians, he wants to come back. In fact, he's on the road right now. He's coming back to Jerusalem. Well, what would you be thinking? you would have your doubts. I mean, everywhere that Saul has gone before, man, you knew that if you, you went face to face with him, you, your life might be in jeopardy, but he's coming back to town. I'd be thinking, man, how low can this guy go? He's starting to put up this facade like he's a Christian, that he's, he's proclaiming Jesus. I, I would be incredibly skeptical. But you know what? There's one man who believed in him. It's really interesting when you read the story of Saul's return to Jerusalem, it says this. It says, when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, talking about Saul. He tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of them, not believing, or they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. Again, who wouldn't be skeptical? But this, this next phrase, this next passage this is a turning point in history for us Christ followers. It says, but Barnabas. 
But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And then he told, he used his words, he used his speech, he spoke and he declared to the apostles how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. But Barnabas, this man, this encourager, stood in the gap for Saul. He absolutely did. Here's Saul. He's in this incredibly vulnerable position where, understandably, almost no one believes him. He's telling the truth, but no one trusts him. Apparently not even the apostles, the leaders of the church. So who is this a job for? It's a job for the encourager a job for Barnabas. In steps Barnabas, and what does he do? He embraces Saul. He believes Saul's story. He trusts Saul, and he stands up for him. He personally arranges a meeting for Saul to meet with the leaders of the church, and then through his speech, through his words of encouragement, he vouches for Saul. I mean, this was a major risk for Barnabas. I'd be asking myself, What if I'm wrong about this guy? I mean, what lives could be lost? But Barnabas, he wasn't asking those questions. See, Barnabas was asking a different question. The question is, what if I'm right about this guy? What if I'm right? What if someone doesn't stand up for him? What if someone doesn't encourage him? What opportunities might be lost? This was a huge turning point, again, in Saul's life, but also in the life of every Christ follower to come. This was like D-Day. This was the Industrial Revolution. This was the internet. This was a game changer. We are in this room today. Because of Barnabas's stand. See, many of you know that Saul eventually becomes Paul. Paul goes on to plant churches all across the known world. He proclaims the gospel all over the place. Then he goes on to write most of the New Testament. This is a game changer for Christ followers. The question I have, would it have happened if not for Barnabas? If someone wouldn't have stood in the gap and encouraged him when he needed encouragement most. You know, I cannot stress enough how vital encouragement is. All around us are people who desperately need someone to believe in them, to believe their story, to see their potential, and to stand with them. I know that I am one of these people 10 years ago. 10 years ago, I was in a desperate and depressed place. 10 years ago, I was a dancing hot dog on the corner of 124th in Totem Lake. And I was down and I was dejected. I had done fairly well in college, pretty much straight A's all the way through, landed a job in Colorado Springs right out of college. For whatever reason, that didn't work out and I knew that quick, so I came back. I had a number of job offers coming back home. Again, born and raised right here in Kirkland. Pizza Bank is still and will always be the best restaurant on planet Earth. Can I get an amen? Woo! So born and raised here, I come back home and I'm thinking, you know what, it's not gonna be too hard to find a job. Well, a month passes, two months pass. At the same time, the economy's starting to hit the fan. Everything's going down. Leads that I had before, they had all dried up. And so I'm looking at this, where, what, what's gonna happen? At the same time too, my savings account is just 
just getting lower and lower by the minute. Eventually, I have to move in with my parents, absolutely down, absolutely dejected. Then three months pass, four months pass, still no job. One day, I'm so depressed, I just decide to go on a walk. So walk down to Totem Lake, and uh, I see that there's this new hot dog restaurant right across the street from McDonald's. And I go over there, and they got a sign in the window, and they've got this dancing hot dog with a, cane, with a cane, and underneath it, it says $10 an hour. And I was so desperate, I was like, I'll take anything at this point. So I walk into the hot dog store, and right then and there, they give me the hot dog costume. They say, here's this big old styrofoam hot dog costume. Why don't you make your way out to the corner and hold this sign and help us uh, muster up some business? So I go out there, and I get out there, and I'm shaking my tail feathers. I'm doing my best. Month passes, still doing it. Two months pass, man. I am in the lowest point in my life. Lowest point in my life. I don't know what happens, but iPods were kind of a new novelty at that point, and I learned that you could do this thing called podcasting. Uh, podcasting, you can listen to different sermons, speakers, stuff like that. So rather than just listen to hip-hop music, which is totally what I did the whole time, I decided, uh, why don't I put on a sermon once? So I, I put on a sermon, and was interesting is God's word, it, it was being proclaimed and it was being spoken over my life and it was encouraging, encouraging me. The, the crazy thing is the word encourage, it, it literally means to pour courage into. And so I was being encouraged every day. And so I started listening to sermons when I was out there. And then I started to listen to worship music and worship music and just speaking truth over my life, pouring courage into me every day. Eventually, after about a month of this, I, I feel this Holy Spirit prompting. You know, those, those whispers you get? I love, someone once said this to me once. I said, you know why God speaks in whispers? It's just because he's close. He's just right there. And he gave me that Holy Spirit whisper to church. See, I'd grown up in church. It wasn't that I was opposed to church. I just kind of felt down about my life. I wasn't happy with where I was at this juncture in my life. But God said, no, you need to go back to church. So I go back to church, head back to the church I'd grown up at, Overlake Church. And I head to the youth ministry there. And I just say, hey, where can you use some help? Can I stack some chairs? Can I lead a group? Like, what, what do you need me to do? And they embraced me with open arms. And man, uh, I just jumped in with both feet. And then after a few months of that, I got this crazy call. The high school pastor at the time, his name was Josh. He called me and said, hey, after you're done doing your hot dog thing, can you come meet me at Jamba Juice in Redmond? I'm like, oh, cool. I'd love to. So I head on over to Jamba Juice. He sits down and he looks me straight in the eye and says, Rory, I want you to come speak at our high school summer camp, our houseboat summer camp. Now, this is a big deal. Overlake has been doing this for close to, I don't know, 15, 20 years now. This is a big deal. Normally, they bring in top-notch speakers. Me, I'm a dancing hot dog. <laughs> I have never given a sermon in my life, and you're telling me you want me to come be the speaker. And he literally said to me, Rory, God is telling me that you are supposed to speak at this camp. And I didn't believe him. I was like, you are smoking crack, dude. There is no way. I have no idea. Where do you even start? How do you write a sermon? What do you do? And he just said, no, God is telling me you are the man for this, just pouring courage into me, encouraging me, lifting me up. And so finally I relent. I say, okay, now, I had no idea what I was doing, so I just went and grabbed a copy of The Purpose Driven Life and just stole it word for word. Literally, when we get to camp, I'm just reading Rick Warren. Like, here, I think <laughs> this is good stuff. I, and, uh, and that week, while it wasn't amazing communication, man, 
God showed up and he showed off. God birthed inside me a desire to serve students and to proclaim the gospel message to them. And where did it start? It started with some encouraging words. Started with a man who believed in me, who saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. Someone who would say, I believe this in you. You have what it takes. At the same time, we finish houseboats and I'm like, man, this ministry thing, this is for me. This is what I want to do. So I start interning and I'm dancing on the hot dog thing like, and then I'm interning and doing this thing and I'm, I'm, I'm loving ministry. I just have to have more of it. And then there's this other guy. He's the other youth pastor of the church. His name's Jake. Jake's the junior high pastor there. And interestingly enough, Josh, who was a high school pastor, was moving to a new department within the church. So there was a position opening up. Now, again, I have no real Bible background and uh, I can't preach really. I'm just there doing stuff, trying to serve where I can. And then there's this other guy, Bob. You guys know Bob? Yeah, well, Bob's there. Bob has been an intern for Jake for a number of years. Bob knows the word inside and out. Like, he is a good dude. He should be the top candidate for this one job. It only makes sense, right? But they said, no, put your application in. Let's see what we can do. Now, there was only money for one job. But somehow, Jake got in there with the executive pastors and the elders And he had another Barnabas moment, a Barnabas moment for me. He stood up in front of those folks and he just pitched, here are two young guys and they have what it takes. And I know the money might not be right there, but we're going to trust God for the money. Let's see if we can make this happen. And somehow one job turned into two jobs and Bob and I were able to be hired on and Pastor Jake just poured into us. He equipped us over the next decade, just pouring into our lives, encouraging us, saying, hey, you have what it takes, putting us in positions that we shouldn't have been in, but he would just do it, believing that we could do it. And man, again, God showed up and he showed off in our midst. And I point it all back to this idea of encouragement of pouring courage into one another, standing in the gap, just like Barnabas did for Saul. I want to give you a couple points. Maybe you want to write these down. First point is this. The declaration of your lips can actually change the direction of someone's life. The declaration of your lips can actually change the direction of someone else's life. It did for me. A couple weeks ago, I was in Las Vegas and me and a buddy, we were checking out a church there that's doing some really cool things and we were meeting with the pastors there and I noticed this one pastor had a gold necklace and then he had a bullet on the end of this necklace. I was like, that's kind of strange. What's, What's the story with the bullet necklace? Then he proceeds to tell me that a number of years before, he was preaching on a Sunday night and a young man came up to him at the end of service and put this bullet in his hand and said, tonight was the night I was going to put this bullet through my head. But tonight I heard the words of life and I realized that God really does have a plan and a purpose for me. So rather than putting this bullet in my head, I want to give it to you as a reminder of the simple truth that the declaration of your lips can change the direction of someone's life. We need to also understand this as a church. 
because I don't want to just tell pastor stories here, but when you come in here on a Sunday, it is your mission to encourage and build one another up. See, sometimes what's going to happen, especially for seasoned Christians, is you're going to come into this space and you're going to hear the stories that you've heard a thousand times. You might hear the points that you have heard a thousand times. You might not walk away being like, wow, I, I just gleaned so much from today's message or worship time. I just need you to know that if you are a seasoned Christian in this place, your job, when you walk into this room, it's ultimately not really about you. It's about what you might be able to invest in other people. It might be what you can do, what you can speak over someone's life, how you might be able to encourage somebody else. What if you saw your mission when you walked through these doors on a Sunday to be a prophet? Someone who would speak life and truth over someone who desperately needs it. Because every weekend, somebody walks through these doors and they were just like me in a hot dog suit. Maybe not a hot dog suit, but an analogy. I'm trying to use a hot dog suit as an analogy for something. I don't know what I'm saying. What I'm saying is there are people who are walking through these doors and they're hurting. And they need a word. They need an encouraging word. They need somebody who will stand up for them, who will speak life and truth, who will believe in them, who will point out potential in them. And that's your mission. That's your job, to come through these doors and speak life, to be a prophet. What if, rather than just a thousand parishioners in this place, a part of the church, what if we had a thousand prophets who were just speaking life and truth over people who desperately need it? I mean, isn't that what the church family should be? So point number one, the the declaration of your lips can actually change the direction of someone else's life. Point number two is this, what you magnify, you get more of. What you magnify, you get more. See, all of us, we're holding with us a magnifying glass. You might not know this, but we're all holding a magnifying glass. And the interesting thing about a magnifying glass is when you magnify something, you actually enlarge it. The question is, what are you enlarging? Are you enlarging something good? Are you enlarging something bad? Are you focusing on stuff of the past? When you, when you magnify somebody else, are you thinking about all the regrets you have with that people, all the problems you have with that people, or are you magnifying the potential you see in that person? Are you magnifying these beautiful traits that you see in that person? Are you unleashing, are you calling out those good things in that person? person. I want to encourage you in your relationships as a church family, as you're in your relationships as a whole, just to understand that what you magnify, you get more of. So why don't you spend your time enlarging the good? Because when you enlarge the good, you're going to get more good. But when you enlarge the past, those regrets, those hurts, when you enlarge those things, guess what? That's what you get more of. You get more hurts, more hangups, you get more frustration. But if you will magnify the good, if you will magnify the potential, if you will speak life in and pour pour courage into other people, you will get more of that. Simple truth, what you magnify, you get more of. And then that leads us to point number three. When it comes to encouragement, specifically encouragement with our words, if you think of something good, just say it. If you think of something good, just say it. Don't just say it, spray it. Like, get it out there. 
Last service, I got to kind of walk around. This is kind of like a homecoming for me. There's so many familiar faces in this place, so many um, memories actually in this place. And first service, there was the executive pastor who was the executive pastor at Overlake when I was there. He was one of those guys in the room when Jake kind of stood up for Bob and I and said, hey, I, I really think we could use two youth pastors. And I, I just got to say, hey, I got to say thank you. But not only that, I'd, I'd say to him today, right now, I'd say, man, thank you. Your belief in me, your words that you've spoken over my life, it's literally changed my life. It has literally changed my life. I look around this room right now. I don't even know you two, but I just want to say thank you. Because of you this morning, I felt free to worship. Because here you are in the front row, just unashamedly to Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for leading me in worship this morning, for being unashamed. It's awesome. Anna, when I think of you, seriously, you are a phenomenal mom. You are a phenomenal mom. But not only that, you are a servant. I look at Luca too. Dude, thank you. Not only thank you, because of you, this church has got a website and people are taking next steps. Not only that, like I look at this place, this room, your fingerprint is all over this. Because of you, people have an environment where they can come, where they can hear from the Lord. Thank you, man. Anna, you are a servant. Every day before I take my boys to preschool, I get them down, I look them in the eyes, and I say, leaders are what? And they yell back to me, servants. And I'm like, yeah. When I think of you, I think of a servant. And it's not easy. It's not easy being mom, trying to juggle everything. But I think, man, you and Sean, such servants. Hans, where are you at, Hans? Hans, thank you for picking me up from the airport. You are an encouragement to me, brother. <laughs> Anytime I come into town, you're just willing and able. And not only that, you just speak so much life. You tell me about the times. You, you remind me of memories that we've had together. Jay and Kat, again, servants to the core. Sue, thank you for jumping up here. I hear your worship leading now. That is so awesome. Thank you for using your gift. Thank you for unleashing your gift. Thank you for encouraging us with your worship. See, all over this room, there are people who are unleashing their gifts, who are using their potential. There's so much power in this. Jake, I look at you all the time, man. I told him this last service. I'm going to say it again. He is so loyal. Not only that, because of you, because of God's spirit moving through you, this region, Woodenville and beyond, is not going to be the same. And I know we say that, ah, we don't really want to be a big church. I don't know if you're going to have a choice because God... God is going to move through you and Garrett and the team here. He already is. And he just might not give you a choice. And I don't have to tell you this right now. Maybe this is a little prophetic word over you as a congregation. You need to know that churches, churches who are really on the move, they, they don't get bogged down with their personal comfort. You know, it is easier to be a small church and a tight-knit community, but churches who are moving, who are reaching people for Jesus, they're more interested than they're in their calling than they are in their comfort. So it might get uncomfortable, especially this fall, as groups start happening, as you guys start living missionally, you start going out and meeting people where they're at and bringing them into the fold. It's going to get a little uncomfortable. It's going to get a little cramped, but it's for Jesus. You're doing it for Jesus. You're doing it in order that people far from God can come near to him and know the life, the abundant life that we know. And so, Jake, dude, you're going to do this thing. I know you're going to do it. God's going to move through you. He's already moving through you, and he's going to move through every person in this place. I guess my last point would simply be this. I want to encourage you to be an encourager. 
If you walk into this place, if you are a part of this community and you speak life over people, if you kind of become little Joel Osteens, like, I don't know about this. You don't agree with them theologically. I probably don't agree with them theologically. Here's what, what Joel's really good at. Joel is really good about speaking life and truth over people. He's really good at encouraging one another. Sometimes you need a little Joel in your life. I want to encourage you to be a little Joel from time to time, to speak something good. If you think of something good, man, say it. Speak it over somebody's life. You got to know that the declaration of your lips, it can actually change the direction of somebody else's life. If you think of that thing, man, say it. What you magnify you're going to get more of. So don't focus on the past. Don't focus on the hurts, man. Focus on the potential you see in that person and speak it into being. That's my prayer for us, is that we could be a community. And I'm a distant, like long lost cousin or something down south, but I want you to know I'm praying for Arbor. I am believing God for great things. And I'm going to encourage this church as much as I possibly can. And I pray that you guys would encourage yourselves as well. Let's pray.